Hey, Peppin. Yo, 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 yo. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about culture. Culture. Like, uh, what about culture? Like, you know, how sometimes there's a good one and sometimes there's a bad one. Oh, uh, no. Like, sometimes you're like, uh-oh, like this place. And sometimes you're like, yeah, I like this place. I'll gotcha. It's like work week culture. Like, there's that one time when when you did get a did a good job, everyone got mad at you because, you know, they didn't want to do a good job. Yeah, I get that. Wait, I don't remember that one. Oh, you weren't there. Oh, wait, Nate, we need to talk. Was that like the royal you or were you just throwing out words? Uh, you keep using the word royal you. I keep pretending to know what it means, but uh, I Like am... just, just a general you, you know, like... Um... Oh, that was a specific kind. You know when you say this thing... And you're not saying like, you know, when you say, it's like, you know, when you. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like when you get into that jam and you have to get yourself out of it. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I mean by royal. I don't know if that's the right usage, but it sounds right. right. Gotcha. Welcome back. So glad you guys could join us. I am here once again with my best friend, Nathan Pepin. How's it going today, Pepin? Yo, yo, I am doing well. I am excited. I am here. And today is a day that we're going to talk about the royal you. We'll talk about the royal you and what it means for the personal you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about culture. But before we do that, let's introduce our special guest, my good, good friend of for literally decades, Langel. How's it going today, Langel? Meter, I am fantastic, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I, I can't wait for this. Absolutely. You and I have been friends since back in the YouTube days when you had the Langel Show. Then you had TPC, three-player co-op podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, most recently, you and I are both in the same TPC sports league uh, for football, hockey, auto racing, and surely more to come. Uh, thank you. So we've, we've worked together on a lot of projects over the years, so I'm really glad uh, you're, you're on our show again. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And yeah, it, it goes it goes way back. So, uh, you know, when they actually do the biopic, they're going to have to have a lot of stuff they're going to have to work with, right? Absolutely. It's going to be really exciting. And hopefully they pick me to do the voiceover. There you go. In a world. <laughs> In a world. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Coming this summer. Mm-hmm. That was so, impressive. So <laughs> we're talking about, talking about culture, talking about... You know, community in a way, Um, I think a lot of, I think it's really interesting. And it's something that I've really been studying very closely uh, is how to create a positive, how to create a culture people want to be in um, and how to create a community that people want to be in. And I think the answer to creating a community is culture. Um, And it's something that a lot of people are really good at and don't realize that they're good at. And I think a lot of people take for granted. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest things I've noticed is when you get a corporation involved in something, they will push culture because uh, they understand how important it is, but they'll push it on a corporate level where it's not actually reflected on the individual level. Uh, and then it pretty much doesn't exist. So... To me, culture doesn't isn't like an overarching thing necessarily, but rather it's something that each person adds to. 
so it is the sum of all of the smaller parts put together. Uh, and a, a, what makes a good culture is is up for debate. But I think that that's really where where a lot of this topic comes from is what makes a culture that you want to be a part of. Right, right. And just to follow up with that, I mean, some people think culture is something ingrained in that region or that location, but it's not because let's say you take the culture of Japan, right? If you take all the Japanese people out of Japan and move them onto, I don't know, some moon colony, and then you take people from Germany and put them in Japan, like, you know, German culture might change a little bit, but, you know, it's not going to be the Japanese culture still inherent there. It's the people that make the culture, you know, each person interacting with themselves. Or with each, with each other. What's super interesting is I was thinking about something very similar to, to that recently, specifically with Japan too. And that's that I think part of culture is based around where a thing is located. Like I think part of the culture of, uh, of a lot of the Asian countries revolves like their culinary stuff revolves around rice because that's what grows in that area. Um, Japan, a lot of it revolves around seafood and, and sushi and fish because that's what they can harvest. They don't have uh, a lot of the other, they don't have giant sprawling places that they can raise, uh, raise bovine or, or chickens or things like that. So, uh, a lot of their stuff has to come from what a lot of their culture is built around what is available to them for resources. It's very true. And also the environment kind of influences a lot of culture and a lot of cultural temperaments as well. So we can talk about, say, uh, Eastern European culture and especially, like, say, in Britain and stuff. So a lot of the big influence there is the cycles because there's, like, a very heavy, uh, you know, season seasonal cycle there. And there's also ever cycles that happen there as well. But, you know, the seasonal cycle is a big part of the culture there because that's a big part of everyday life. So you actually see that. And then that expectation of seasons kind of interplays with other things that come up in culture, such as this, like, say, expectation. Because the big thing with, say, the British culture was the expectation of the king and tradition, right? And same with kind of Roman culture. So there's just things which are expected to happen at certain times, and those things would just occur. So, like, Romans, for instance, would have these celebrations, and it was, you know, the people were kind of apolitical to some degree, but you know, they, they kind of thrived in that political kind of climate because they had this kind of cultural expectation where you go somewhere, say, source south of the border, like more towards the equator, where there's less of a seasonal sort of thing. That cultural impetus that's kind of forcing its way from the outside, it may not be as present. You know, it may be present, but, you know, it may just be more of a live and let live sort of a atmosphere. You know, not always, but a lot of times you, you are right that the cultural kind of uh, impact is influenced from the environment that you're surrounded in. Yeah, well, I live on the east coast of Canada, and I live on an island, so seafood is huge here. And I, I'm not a huge seafood person. I mean, I'll eat fish once a year just to say I did. But when we have people who visit us from outside of the Maritimes, where you know going and getting lobster is not a daily occurrence, people come here and they lose their minds. They're like, "You are so lucky! You could have lobster all you want." It's like. Yeah, I guess I could, but it's not it's not my thing. But people who are outside this and come into this, they they one of the biggest things you hear on the island is we love your culture, we love this, we love that. And I I think a lot of people, you know, people are proud of their culture, but at the same time, they kind of take it for granted as well, right? That this is the mm -hmm. this is just what happens. This is just what happens here. And then you get people who are from outside that and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you live here. Meanwhile, if I went to Tijuana. And it's like, 
I could have burritos every day. That would be amazing. And they'd be like, yeah, no, 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 it's, you, you don't do that. So I think people at the same time have to learn to appreciate their culture because they're, and I'm using food as the example. Obviously, there's entertainment, there's everything else. But yeah. what I mean is, is, uh, yeah, you, you, you got to, not only do you have to appreciate it, you have to keep appreciating it because you can't take it for granted because other people don't have what you have regionally. Mm-hmm. One big thing with that is, it's, the analogy is like the fish doesn't know it's in water because it's just what's in, right? It assumes right. the water is just there, right? It yep. doesn't even know it's in water. Until mm-hmm. you get to outside the water, and then you realize, hey, I've been in water the whole time. You know, there's just things surrounding me. Things are different here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the same thing with our culture, right? So, you know, you're Canadian, so your culture is a little bit different. So, whenever I interact or kind of, I haven't been to Canada, hopefully soon, but, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I kind of see Canadians, they act slightly differently. That's kind of similar to American culture, but it's also different. And you become more aware of those distant differences or uh, for instance, I went to New York City a little while ago, and New York City culture is way different than, say, the culture in where I live, New Hampshire. Because mm-hmm. New Hampshire, we're very kind of, I'm not going to say friendly, but yeah, we're friendly. Like, we have like a, like, like, like we'll like say hi to people, like, you know, wave to them, or we'll kind of just be somewhat chatty with them. In New York, like, you only interact with people that you have to interact with, right? If right. someone's walking down the street, you don't look at them. You don't do anything. You just... You're just two separate individuals, like ghosts passing the night. Mm-hmm. And yep. so there's a big cultural difference there. And that one, again, it's somewhat created by just the fact that New York City has way, 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 way too many people. And there's so many people there that you can't actually assign like individuality to every person you see. You know, you only do it on a need, like a case by case, need by need basis. You know, if you were to try to see each person as a person walking down the street and treat them with that individuality, mm-hmm. you would just be exhausted and dead at the end of the day. Yeah, I went to Montreal for UFC 154 and um, it was like a cultural shock to me completely um, because Montreal is very much like New York in that aspect where like here, if I see you walking down the other side of the street, I will actually cross the street, go over and say, Pepin, what's going on? In Montreal, you you just don't do that, and uh, it's uh, you don't get a lot of the the helpfulness sort of idea, the friendliness that you're talking about. Um, so yeah, it's it's it. That's the big thing on culture shock, right? Because if you take someone out of a out of a tiny little rural PEI area and you drop them into an epicenter of like a of a huge metropolis, it's going to uh, it's 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 going to cause some problems. In fact, there was a there was, and this is just popping into my head as I'm talking. There was a a web series called Just Passing Through that was based on that sort of premise, where they took you know backcountry islanders and dropped them into Toronto, and uh, it was all a scripted web series. But the whole idea was they were trying to get to Alberta to work on the oil fields, but the car breaks down just outside Toronto. So if you ever look it up on YouTube, it's called Just Passing Through, and it's a great explanation of what maritime culture is versus, you know, big metropolis as you head east or sorry, head west here in Canada. And that gets to to a lot of what I like about talking about culture and, and what fascinates me. And that's like the the attitudes and the um like the 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 personality between interpersonal relationships between people, um, what's okay and what's not okay. And uh, it's all really, really interesting to me because it 
outside of like regional things, you can, you have cultures, every, every group of people is its own culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like, let's talk about workplace culture. Right. And this is, this is really what fascinates me most is workplace and, and just like chosen communities to be a part of. Um, so workplace, uh, I've worked for a lot of different companies, uh, pretty much from the time I started working at 15 up until my early twenties, uh, mid twenties, even I would, I didn't stay at a same, the same job for more than six months. Uh, if if I got to six months, that was pretty much I'm moving on to a different different job, uh, and a lot of that came down to the culture. And I didn't if I didn't like the culture of the place, I would leave because it's just not worth it's not worth my time. I would try and influence it to the best of my ability, but a lot of times that's not possible. And then the the last place that I worked that I stayed at for four years was because it had such a great culture, such a positive, really friendly culture. Uh, a lot of places talk about, oh, we're like a family here. You hear that pretty much every job you're ever going to apply for. If you're at the interview and you're like, what's the culture like? They're like, oh, we're like a family. We all we all love each other. We care about each other. And to actually like see that in action versus hear it talked about are two completely different things. But how do you take a group of people who are all together for a reason, in this case, because they want to make money and make them care about each other, make them actually legitimately give a shit about each other. How do you set up a culture in that way? I don't know if you can set it up because I think it's something that happens between the people. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's certain ways to do that and that's kind of leadership in a way, right? But the leadership is something that kind of like gets passed on from one person to the other. So for instance, when I used to manage a, a coffee shop, uh, it was important for me to have kind of that, uh, let's say we got overly busy and we're just kind of like dying in, in, in the workplace, right? Because of this, you know, we're just swamped. It's important for me to have that kind of like resilience and kind of like that calm, cool command because that passes on to everybody else. If I start freaking out, my whole staff starts freaking out. So I think yep. there's that aspect of the leader or if you're in charge or just if you try to are in that position of power, or even if you just have that gravitas, you try to just pass that on to someone else and try to be like the the rock that kind of stabilizes mm -hmm. everybody else. But I think also that's kind of hard to do just in general because it's something that happens naturally and people have to have that gravitas or whatever just to begin with in order to even that effect. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that, Brian? Uh, yeah, you can, you can have all the best employees, the best at what they do. You can, you can go out and headhunt and you say, I, I want a guy that specifically works in stats and that's all he does. And then I want another guy who's really good at, at, at PR. Like I want him. And that's all well and great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to look great for your business as far as numbers go. But if the personalities don't mesh, then you just have a bunch of people working in an office. You don't really have a community at that point. And I think that that's one of the things that you need. I mean, you, you communities have to to grow organically. You can't. You can stick a bunch of people in a room, but until they gel and kind of you know share the same sort of until I guess the better way to describe this until they become social with each other, it's just a bunch of people in a room. You you need to create that environment so that. They like going to work. I mean, I, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow because I know Pepin's going to be there and Meter's going to be there. And, you know, and we're, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Yes, we're working, but it's, it's an environment and a culture. Um, I think that 
a lot of businesses and a lot of ideas look great on paper. But if the personalities don't mesh and don't create that culture, like a positive nurturing sort of in it, uh, culture, then it's it's set up for failure, in my opinion. I definitely I love. Uh, so you brought you both touched on it being top down, being it starts with leadership, but uh, then the people involved also matter as well. But I feel like like where you are changes how you act. And who you're around changes how you act. And then what's socially acceptable can change that as well. There are some people who will never conform and that's mm-hmm. their bag. Um, but there are, most people will subscribe to that social contract that this is what's acceptable at this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the leadership can, can cause that to be either really bad or really good. I remember I worked at a call center and... Uh, I had the I had the best stats on the floor. I had the shortest call times with the highest conversion rates, and then the other person who was right behind me. We were always battling back and forth who was who was the top person. Uh, we sat next to each other. So one day I brought in a chessboard and we were playing chess in between calls. We're sitting there doing nothing, so we wanted to do something quiet that was going to distract other people while still being able to like keep our minds active. And then if a call came in, we'd immediately stop what we're doing and do the call. So it wasn't detracting from our work. It was keeping us busy, entertained. I was loving going into work, getting to, to, to have a mental challenge with a person that I liked. And then they send out a memo saying, no one's allowed to play any board games while on the clock. And I'm like, but why? Like, th- this is obviously directed at us. First off, just come talk to me. But the other thing is like, why? What's your reasoning? If your reasoning is you don't want other people to do it, then like maybe you set, in, you set a rule that you have to have x call time in order to do it or or whatever but if you're just doing it as a preemptive strike against other people who might want to do the same thing i don't think that's a a good solution so that's an example of taking what was being built of a culture of people who enjoyed spending time with each other and doing things and just cutting it off at the legs without actually having a reason uh, I don't even think they realized that's what they were doing. They were seeing it from a stats point of view instead of seeing it from a human point of view. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's an example of leadership not doing a good job of of helping foster a culture that's naturally growing. A counter, yeah. like, like like an example of that that's kind of like a counter example is mm-hmm. uh, at one job I had as a banker. Uh, th- technically, the company policy was no cell phones on the floor. Uh, but my manager said, you know, I don't care if you have your cell phones out because, uh, you know, wh- whatever. Uh, I'll help myself out. You can have it out. Uh, the only rule is if we get a single customer complaint about cell phones or someone being on their cell phone, cell phones won't be allowed anymore at all. So mm-hmm. there was that idea, you know, number one, a customer always comes first. But number two, like, I don't care if you use this so long as you don't abuse anything, so long as everything is done. If this doesn't get in the way of anything and this doesn't show bad on me, you know, there's no reports about it. I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. I trust you. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a, little... a that's a great example. That's like the opposite of, of what I'm saying. I agree. Yeah. And there was also some self-enforcement with that because let's say one person was maybe abusing the cell phone a little bit or a little too distracted. You know, one of the uh, colleagues were like, oh, hey, let's not ruin this for video. Let's, let's, uh, let, let's uh, get off every now. Mm-hmm. So that, that's like building a team mentality. Mm-hmm. We're, all, right. we're all in this together. What happens to, to one happens to everyone. And I think that's a great way to build culture is to build it as a team. A lot of we, we statements, not I statements. Exactly. 
Now, Langley, you've done an amazing job of building community. I've watched you build, be a part of and build communities for decades. And mm -hmm. you're always really, really good at it. Uh, so I've learned a lot in studying how you interact and what you do to build culture. I know the TPC Sports Live has has a great culture and it has a great group of people who all genuinely care and support about each other and support each other. Do you have do you have any inkling as to to how that comes about and what role um, management plays on your end and what role the community itself plays? Um, yeah, first off, thank you for the compliment. I greatly appreciate it. And um, yeah, I guess basically the whole idea. I've been running sports leagues since two thousand one. So I'm coming up on like 20 years of doing this. And um, my biggest thing has always been, I wanted a place where people felt like they were quote unquote home, that it wasn't going on to play random lobby kids and getting destroyed in sports and this and that, that it was a community where we were all focused. We were all heading towards the same, same goal. Um, and make that feel like it's important. You're part of a league. Here's the league logo. Here's the league website. It's not just log on and play a game and then go off and, and play something else. Like I record the stats and I make sure that people feel like they're involved with what they do matters. They can look back at it and say, you know, I played 10 games in season one and I didn't win any, but look mm -hmm. at my stats in season two. And that, you know, things got a little bit better and there's a comparison. And as we talked earlier, it was about um, people helping each other out. Like we've always been given tips on on how to do that. You know, maybe you should try this or look. Maybe maybe passing blindly into the corner probably isn't the best way to to keep the puck in in a hockey reference sort of thing. And I always like to have an open door policy where people can talk to me if things are things are bothering them because there's there's conflict in online gaming and online sports the same way there is everywhere else. And uh, you don't want people saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that because no one listens to me. And, you know, I, I just feel like I don't belong. Well, no, I mean, it's it's part of a, everyone's part of this community. We're all growing together. And that's how I've, I've built it from, from day one. Um, it works 99% of the time. 60% of the time, it works all the time. But mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those things where I would rather be hands-on and try to, not that I micromanage, but... I try to make sure that everybody's happy as opposed to I'm locked away in an office somewhere and you just play your games and that sort of thing. So I, I, then I try to be, I try to make friends with people. I try to know people that we're competing with. Um, you know, it's easy enough online to just hide behind a gamer tag and you never know what that person's real name is. I don't need to know first and last name and how many kids you have and what street you're on. I mean, I, the, I don't need to get that close, but I like to know that, you know, for argument's sake, you know, Sniper Gamer 32's real name is Mark. You know, like, hey, Mark, how's it going? Da 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 da. -da. So you try to build a rapport sort of thing. And uh, yeah, that's, and my wife's helped a lot with that too, right? I mean, like, I, mm -hmm. I kind of get the credit for, for online leagues and stuff, but Susan's in my sounding board for 20 years. And she she's she she's been a lot of help on that as well. So I, I I can't take all the credit for it, but yeah, I try to create like a like an environment where people want to be part of it. Where a they they see that it's not just fly by night. Like there's a website and there's a logo and there's graphics and there's you know we take it seriously. And at the same time, it's uh, you know, it's one of those things where you want to be part of a community, you want to be part of a family, and I think that's what kind of steps us apart from a lot of other organizations. Is the fact that 
yeah, we're running three different sports right now and three separate communities within them, but it's all part of one giant community. And we try to, uh, try to expand it and keep it going. And we've got a great community that's involved with it. And uh, people have come in. And you guys mentioned earlier about, like Meter mentioned about the, the chess, that you, know, you create something within the community to, to try to improve things. And it takes off. And unfortunately, in that situation, it kind of gets shut down. But in ours, we're like, you know, let's go with that. Let's see what we can do. Let's grow from that. I don't want to squash people's creativity. I don't want to squash people's competitiveness. I want to, uh, I want to enhance it. I want, I want to see what that can do to help the community grow as a whole, which is kind of where Meter's whole uh, uh, broadcasting came from. He saw an opportunity to uh, try to enhance what was happening, and it turned into a huge section of the entire organization. So, yeah. and I de- I definitely agree. Susan, a huge, huge part of of building the community and being uh, from the from the top down. I think you guys do an amazing job of of building community. You mentioned something really interesting there that I've noticed about uh, that I. I've noticed about culture that I think a lot of people don't think about, and that's history. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned it in, you know, I, I collect stats and you can go back and look at the stats and it makes people, it legitimizes the fact that people are part of this thing. Um, and they can go back and see how they've influenced and see how things have changed and how they've been a part of that change. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to record history and people being a part of that history is huge because then it's like you've made an impact. You can see, you can physically see the impact and other people can see that impact. The thing that you did yesterday is going to matter in five years and your name's still going to be there and you're going to still have been a part of that. And I think Mm -hmm. that is really, really valuable in a culture that what you do matters and other people will see that. Yeah. And I, that's kind of why, I, I collect everything as much as I possibly can stats wise so that it's got, you know, eventually when the book closes, it's going to have everything within it and people can go back and look and they can say, yeah, look, I mean, I, I didn't win the championship in season two, but I beat the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's something that they, they can have, or you have someone who doesn't start off that well goes, let's use football as the example. There's 16 games in regular season. You, you go like, you know, two and 14. Clearly, you did not have a good season, but you played all 14 games and you tried in the next season, you win four games. So you did twice as well in season two as you did in your first one. And they can, you, can, you can see all that. And it's, it you know, gives people a feeling of accomplishment to see that. But at the same time, like you said, Meter, if you go back and look at everything, it's like, yeah, I was a part of something. What I did mattered. And that's, that's uh, whether you win all your games or you don't win any games, I, I want people to have the same feeling that what they did was actually a huge part of the mm-hmm. community. I think a big part of culture, as you're saying, is the say the, the historical sort of record or the, the mythos. Mm-hmm. And I think mythos might be the right word because you know what's yeah. in the record may not exactly be true, right? So it's kind of like with the D and D metaphor. I haven't played D and D, but. You know, a lot of times people, the memory of what happened is more important than what actually happened, right? If you were to play Mm -hmm. a video back of what happened, it's probably not going to be the exact same. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of, say, some of the old internet forums. Uh, Meteor and I used to be a part of an internet forum called uh, Face Punch. And on that 
form, it was very intriguing because the form had a very, it's a big, pretty big community, but it had mm-hmm. like a very strong community vibe to it. And there was kind of a mythos there, you know, about this one person who got banned for, uh, you know, spending over a thousand dollars on a gold membership because it was like a little April Fool's prank, but he sought to do it because he thought it wouldn't work, but it didn't work. He used his mom's credit card and then everything got shut down. You know, there's all these like little, say, community things that happened that kind of were built into the mythos. Mm-hmm. And one thing is kind of as you get larger and larger as a community, some of that stuff gets lost because I started yeah. where Reddit used to have a bit more of that kind of community feel to it. And different Reddit communities have their own kind of, say, uh, culture or same vibe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, talk about like uh, NoFap or r slash funny or, you know, those different places. They'll have these very distinct vibes to them. Yeah. Like our funny is essentially nothing is funny. You know, everything on this form is terrible. Mm-hmm. You go to like uh, dating advice, everything's like break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, uh, you go to our sex, it's like, okay, uh, you know, you need to have a talk with this person. So there's, there's all these kind of cultural mindsets, cultural shifts, and probably the same even with like, say, different forms for like sports teams and everything. Mm-hmm. But it, kind of the larger you get, the more you lose that kind of cultural like uh, similarity or some, some of those things that bind people together. Yeah. But you can also get these subcultures between because like there's a difference between, right, say, the Reddit person and people who are on Tumblr or people who are uh, from Reddit or people who are on Facebook, like Facebook yeah. groups, like Facebook groups. Oh my God, those are terrible. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, there's a lot of except for ours. Ours is great. Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. We have a couple comments. Uh, and to tell us what to talk about, you know, like, subscribe. Can you subscribe on Facebook groups? No, sure. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, subscribe. <laughs> Hit that <laughs> notification <laughs> bell. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah, this stuff that really helps us out. <laughs> <laughs> that is an old Langel line. I love that. <laughs> yeah, show me the love. Um, one thing that I noticed happen from that was. Um, people get together in our, and I, I keep bringing it back to ours because this is this is what I'm familiar with. Um, people think that oh, you guys are just a bunch of sports gamers. You guys just get together and play sports. Well, no, because within that culture, this came from a podcasting community, mm-hmm. is where it came from. And then we all kind of get together and started playing sports. But then that community split off, and there'll be people online playing Call of Duty, mm-hmm. and I'll log on and be like. Those four people are playing in a party right now because they came together from within our community. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm doing this and pat myself on the back, but I'm like, our community is creating sub-communities and creating opportunities for people to meet each other who would have had no opportunity otherwise to meet each other. So it's really crazy how communities and culture can evolve over time and fit into places where you wouldn't think that it it would actually go. So... I uh, I love stuff like that. I seriously do. Is the fact that you meet somebody who introduces you to something that you've never heard of or tried or even heard of before, and then it creates a whole new thing out of that, and a new friendship is based on that. And I I, I love stuff like that. I definitely agree. I think Nate uh, Nate said something really really cool there as well, and that's like the bigger that a community or any uh, entity gets the uh the more fractured the culture itself becomes and then you get subcultures within the culture mm-hmm. which is why i think that as you as the culture grows as the communities grow the you need to continue to have that top down feeling where um the people at the top 
are the ones helping build that culture and enforce that culture. Mm-hmm. But I think that the culture itself needs to simplify. So you can't have the more intricate culture that you can express in a one-on-one basis when you're talking with uh, every person in the community on a, in a one-on-one like every day. It needs to simplify to um, to to become easier to stay on brand, if you will. Um, where when you have a, a company with a mission statement that's super complex, uh, it, it's really hard to enforce something like that in any sort of a meaningful way. But if the the culture that's being enforced is be kind to everyone, that is very easy to 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 conceptualize and to enforce in a in a day to day basis. But if it's be kind to to everyone in these specific ways, that's going to be much more difficult to to enforce. Um, so it, it's it's nice to not suffocate a naturally growing culture by trying to implement your own and push your own the way things you always have been when it was small. As it grows, there's going to be smaller cultures within. As long as they all follow the general feeling of the top, mm-hmm. it's okay for them all to have different feelings. Uh, and that's where like you get like a country, like the USA, you have 50 different cultures, if you will, 50 mm-hmm. different states. And then within every state, there's counties and within every county, there's cities and within every city, there's little communities. And all of these things all are under the same umbrella of the idea of the United States. Um, and that goes the same for, for Canada with the provinces, et cetera, et cetera. But the point being that the mission, the goal, the the feeling of the US as a whole the culture of the U.S. is still unique, um, despite the fact that it's fractured hundreds, thousands of times throughout the course of a giant plot of land with different regions, different uh, different communities, different um, weather patterns, everything, uh, ecosystems, all completely different. But the U.S. still has a culture in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Uh, one thing I go ahead. One thing I want to push back on a little bit, and I'm not sure if I'm mischaracterizing your argument here, Steve, mm-hmm. but it's like the idea of a top-down culture. I think when it works, it works really well, but a lot of times when it fails, it fails spectacularly, and people get mm-hmm. very jaded. Because, for instance, I've been a part of a company or two where they try to inculcate this culture from a top-down point of view. Like, they're like, you know, we're ready. You know, we do this, we do that. You know, this is how we are. And they're trying to just kind of force that down your throat. And everyone just kind of sees how fake it is and just kind of like regurgitates it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, in a bad way. Right. Like, like, like they just like, you know, screw this shit. Like, this is not, this is not what we want to do. Yep. I guess my point is that anything that can be good can be used in a bad way too. But my point is you're not going, you won't get a positive culture without a top-down approach. Uh, I think it's it's going to be the the rarity of that is ab- absurdly high. So, I think the chances that of success for a positive culture being top-down versus trying to uh, have the top be invisible and then the cultures build themselves is is very very low. Um, so that. My argument is that the top-down approach is going to be the best chance at success over any other other approach. People will follow the leader pretty much um, in, in that regard. Is that something you agree with, Lanchel, or what's your thought on that? 
No, I, I get that. I mean, you can't have Wild West. You have to have some sort of guidelines. But you can't have so many guidelines that people just get frustrated with everything. And, and you know, just because it, once people tune out of a community or tune out of a culture, you're, you're in trouble. If you don't have an environment that people feel like they're, they want to be involved with, then they're done. But you, at the same time, you, you, you can't have, uh, again, Wild West sort of, you can do whatever you want as long as you're here, you know. You, you got to have somewhere in between. So yeah, you got to have rules or guidelines, I guess, but you got to leave chance for growth and time for expansion and uh, hmm. give people their own unique ability to facilitate within those, within those guidelines, in my opinion. I, th- I think that's the thing about culture though, is it's, it's not necessarily about rules. But rather, it's about like the the attitude and the way people act. So when I say top down, I'm not necessarily saying that the top that the the leaders are saying here are the rules. Here's what you have to do. I'm saying mm-hmm. they're showing. Here's how we act around here, um, and okay. then that gets mirrored. Um, yeah. So if you have a if you have a boss that says here's how you act and then doesn't act like that, it nothing they say matters. But right. if you say a boss if you have a boss that actually shows like here's how you be a good person like Brian Langell does. That's when you get massive success because people actually see the genuine care and that, that it's not a, a facade trying to make money. It's I, I actually care. Making money is like a secondary to actually caring about the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm still trying to process this a little bit because hmm. I, I think we do have our own kind of culture ourselves. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, whenever we have people on. Whenever we have people on the show, uh, me and you, Peter, we tend to have this kind of open curiosity and it's kind of like, say, just natural need to discuss things in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And I think our emulation of that kind of carries on to the guests because we have this inquisitive, non judgmental nature. I mean, we'll give mm-hmm. each other a hard time, but there's the implication there that we're never being mean. You know, mm-hmm. the person who's being made fun of is always in on the joke, right? Except and that one time when you called me out for your and giant got, dick. No, when I got really, I got really offended that one time on that one episode. And then afterwards we talked about it. I'm like, yeah, it, it was just like a whole thing. There's a lot of backstory you don't know about. And you're like, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. That right. was funny. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is the understanding there that I wasn't trying to be a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which, which is why we tried to talk it out there, you know. I mean, at least I don't think you thought I was being a jerk. No, 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 not at all. Not at this all. Is, this is like, why would, why would you say that? I'm confused. And I was uh-huh. like, I'm so confused you're, by you're mad. What you're saying is you guys needed to talk? Yes. <sighs> Care, careful, if you say that, it ends the show. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Don't, when I say it, don't listen to me. I'm not the host. <laughs> I'm not well, you the got host. you got to say the whole title, so it's a, it's oh. okay. You said it okay. perfect, <laughs> but yeah, like I, th- I think there's a culture that we try to like that kind of like really applies to, like it really kind of extends itself to the guests. Yeah. Uh, for instance, we've had a lot of guests on who were really worried about coming on, like oh, I don't know if I'm going to say the wrong thing. How am I going to actually do this? Like they're they're really kind of nervous and not really sure. And you know, it's a job of me and you to. Uh, make them feel comfortable and we haven't had an issue with a guest who's just kind of like not performed if, if yeah. that makes any sense 
like, because we always just kind of work with them and kind of like illustrate, you know, and then we take care of them, you know, if they're, if, if they're very capable, like say Langel, we don't need to like, you know, say get anything out of Langel. Langel's going to produce content no matter what, you know, he's mm-hmm. just a workforce. But let's say it's somebody who is maybe not as familiar with the process, you know, we kind of make them feel comfortable and kind of show by leadership that they're can get in this community and kind of just interact and talk to us and be open and we're not going to make fun of them, you know, unless they deserve it, you know, and they'll be in in the joke. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had been in, we had been doing it for like what a year before we had damn you diary on. And I think they were the first actual like other podcast we had on the show. I think they were the first like non, we knew these people as friends before friends or family before that we had on. I may be wrong in that uh, or at least in person. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think you're I right. think we had we had Trico from uh, Shot of History on, but that was you know over the phone, um, and that was a little different. Um, we had oh we had um, Adamson uh, from the the history of philosophy or whatever. Yeah, and I think or, we had may have had Kathleen Macca, who was the yeah, author of she was uh, an author yep. Galveston. Yep, Ghost. Ghost of Galveston. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, we had we had them on, and we had only been doing this for a year, maybe, maybe two. And they were like, oh, "We're like, you guys are so professional in what you do. Like, it it feels like a production, like a show, like a real show." Versus, they felt like when they sat down and did a show, it was just the two friends talking, and there happened to be a microphone. Uh, they felt like ours felt like a production, but it also felt comfortable, like two people talking, having a conversation with a microphone, which was really interesting. That. Because I had never really seen it that way. That we we put a lot of time into creating a show with a a format that isn't really a format because we jump topics all the time, but we always end up bringing it back. Like we have a production that doesn't really feel like a production. It feels natural, and that's what we wanted. Was we wanted to create? It's interesting to create something that feels natural. Like yeah. a raw condom. Yes. Most definitely. <laughs> Fun fact about condoms and glasses. They only work when you wear them. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> Wait, did, are those things, do they have to be used together? Because I think no, I've been no, using no, at no, least no. one of them wrong. At least... <laughs> you need at least I mean, one. I'm covered right now. Yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a strong thing too, though, Meter. When when you look at broadcast, you didn't start broadcast just by going, oh, I'm just going to turn on and talk about it. Obviously, you put a lot of work into it behind the scenes before that came to fruition. And uh, I think that that's part of building a community and building culture too, is the fact you can't just take every idea and just say, yeah, we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you have to put some work in behind it to make sure that it, 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 it's going to, uh, it's going to work. I mean, because if you, if you do that just all on a whim and say, yeah, uh, tomorrow we're going to start uh, 3d hologramming, it's going to be awesome. And then you realize you have no idea how to do that. The community is going to lose faith with you as a leader. Like, well, what's the point, right? Because nothing ever seems to work out. So I think that people, and our community is good for it is they normally can really appreciate how much work goes into stuff to make it seem as though it's not that much work at all, which is what you guys were just talking about with, with we need to talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, people come in, they're like, Oh my God, the production level is absolutely insane. And I agree. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm part of the show right now, but 
I mean, it takes a lot of work to make that happen, but you guys have put the work in and now it flows, flows evenly and, and smoothly. So I think that that, uh, that takes a, a, a part of the leadership role, right? As opposed to the, uh, the community role. But mm-hmm. it, as a whole, it builds that community. Now, there's something with, with community that's really difficult is when is, is identifying when somebody doesn't mesh with a community and how mm-hmm. to handle that. Because the number one resource, in my opinion, of any, any business, any, anything that involves people is the people. Mm-hmm. So when somebody doesn't mesh with a community, the, the, I think a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is, well, you're gone. Uh, and I've worked a lot of places where it's like you, it, the, the first reaction to something going wrong is to get rid of somebody. Um, and I think that's a really dangerous thing because the, the resource you want is people. And if you just get rid of people willy-nilly, the implication there is that the people don't have value. They're, they're replaceable. They're, you can just get rid of them and someone else will come along. And I think that's really dangerous because you don't have value in the people, then the people aren't going to care. Right. Um, they're not going to give you their value, if you will. So how do you handle a situation where somebody is, doesn't match with the community without sacrificing the community itself? Uh, I don't know if I... This is where it's kind of difficult because I think if someone's not meshing with the community you get rid of them. But I think the real solution is you screen people beforehand and mm-hmm. you only, it, like, it's a gated community, right? So mm-hmm. here, here's a really bad example. So I've been watching this show uh, called, what's it called? Sanctum. And it's a show on, I think it's on Stars or something. And it's a show where this guy essentially owns this uh, sex club or it, it's kind of like this high-end Beverly Hills sort of thing where they have these parties where they're theatrical, but there's like sex that happens. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit like a sex club type sort of thing, but super high end. But this guy has really kind of inculcated this culture of, say, openness, but also respect, consent, and all this kind of stuff. So there's the stuff that he has there. Now, his main thing to get this culture to work is he does a lot of screening process Anyone who joins the club, he does a huge amount of like background checks and all this kind of stuff to make sure if anyone comes in here, they're going to be good. They're going to be cool. And mm-hmm. they haven't had an issue. Uh, they've had issues in the screening process, but they always check, you know, get them in the screening process because they don't want to kick people out. You know, if, if yeah. they'd be, of course, they would if they, could, if they had to. But, you know, they do all the screening process to make sure everyone who's in there is good. So I think a big part of it is just screening, kind of knowing who you're getting involved with. Mm-hmm. And only letting people in who you think are going to be good. It's kind of like the whole thing with the vampire. Like the vampire only becomes a problem if you let them into a house. If you don't let them in, they can't get in. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I don't necessarily disagree with it as a concept to, okay, so first you want to screen people. I, I like that idea. Um, but I also think that people, that I think people are too quick to use no and to use to, to gatekeep either kicking somebody out of your home or not letting them in in the first place who otherwise would be a huge asset to the community. I think that you can have too tight restraint. And I think most, pla- most people do. Um, it, that would be my argument is that I think you can, 
you can change people's mindsets to fit your community more more often than not. Um, and it's just go, finding the way to go about doing that, to go about either correcting behavior or uh, implementing behavior that you want to see without having to sacrifice the chance of gaining a member of the community. What are your thoughts on that? Because me and Meter seem to agree but disagree a bit. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I, but I, I think Meter is more optimistic than I am. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> are you somewhere in between or what's your thought? All right. Well, my, my opinion, and I keep bringing it back to our community. So I know that I'm narrowing it in, but I want to talk from my, my experience on that. Um, if we bring people into our sports organization who don't fit the, uh, the community norm, um, usually they find their way back out again. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the fact that we are a is described earlier, like a learner league sort of thing. We don't want people coming in who play on all Madden and play professionally and come in and destroy everybody. Because not only is it going to screw up the community um, stats-wise, it's going to kill morale and people are going to leave. Like, why would I bother showing up to play Pepin if I know that he just competed in the regional championships for Madden? There's going to be people who are like, I just play this because I want to play with my friends. And they're going to get it's it's going to cause problems within within the organization. So we try to screen people that way. Um, so we do that in an effort to try to protect the community, which is what community is all about. You, you know, like you guys had mentioned earlier, workplaces. A lot of places they'll say they're like a family. Like we look after each other. We protect each other. You're you're going to be safe here. Da 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 da. So that's how kind of we deal with it. We've had some some internal conflict between. Uh, owners and sometimes they deal with it themselves. Sometimes we kind of point the direction and how it should be kind of dealt with, and it is like we haven't really ran into too many problems that way. But yeah, the the whole gatekeeper, the whole screening thing. I think that that is a crucial part of trying to protect your community. Is you you can't micromanage and you can't nickel and dime everybody, and you you, you can't you can't control everything. But as you mentioned with the analogy to the sex club, which I don't have to check that show out, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, we've done our research. This person's cool. Let's see how they are in this environment. But everything seems to be, everything seems to be on the up and up. So um, I'm not one of these people that says close the doors and, and only let certain people in. Because I mean that that's kind of shooting yourself in the foot, but at the same time, you kind of have to be careful and to do a little bit of vetting as to who you're letting in to that culture or into that community. Here, here's my analogy with with gatekeeping. You want to keep the foxes out of the hen house, but you want a whole bunch of different types of hens. You don't want all the same ones. So, if if a hen thinks differently, like let them in. They're a hen, but if it's a fox, you don't you got you got to keep them out. Right. Um, so. I think a lot of people will look for the same exact... I can't tell any of these hens apart because they're all exactly the same. That's great. You're not going to have many issues, but it's not creating a diverse culture. You're homogenizing an entire people. And it's 
ultimately, I think something like that is a very short-term, nearsighted, small view. And I Mm -hmm. like to think much bigger. I like to include everybody if we can, but there are people who are toxic that you can't let in. And we've run into them, Langell, and we've we've let some of those people in. And Mm -hmm. you said it best. They very quickly find their way out because they don't fit. And that's what you want. You want a culture that's so strong in and of itself that a fox doesn't fit in. Right. And I think you've done a great job of building that, you, Susan, of building TPC as a whole, starting at the podcast level where the community built around that and now in the sports area of Mm -hmm. recognizing foxes early and getting rid of them if we need to or recognizing that somebody's different and letting them decide, do I fit in or not? Right. People who are too different, a lot of times they'll just choose to leave. And then it's not us gatekeeping. It's the community being having its own way of sorting out people who don't mesh. Yep. I, I, exactly. In a non-hostile way. I think an analogy to that is certain companies where everyone's like a workaholic, like mm-hmm. someone who comes in who's not a workaholic, who can't meet those pressures and demands of the company because everyone else is meeting them, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to have a hard time. Similarly, it's like uh, if there's another company, and this is kind of the one I was referencing at the beginning. So I used to work at a place where I was essentially trying to move up in the company. I was hired as a temp. And essentially, you could get hired as a temp, but then become full-time, become like an actual employee there. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of my goals. So uh, you had quotas and they had certain records. So I was trying to like get my records and quotas and everything looking really good. And the more I did that, the more that the people who were, you know, say the full-time employees, they were starting to like talk bad and kind of sabotage. Like they would make up issues that didn't actually happen. They said, oh, this person did this, this, they're making up this work or they're actually not doing this mm-hmm. or they caused all this work for us in the, you know, the repair section, you know, things that actually weren't true. Or uh, one of my friends, he actually had one of the workers there just come to him and said, hey, you're making us look bad. You trying so hard. Stop trying. Right. So there's an inculcation there of laziness, like do the bare minimum. And that I couldn't, like be a part of because that just brings me down, right? Like, because I want to be something that I want to be someone who can be somewhat proud of my work. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to like be full on, but getting by with the minimum, like that doesn't fit with me. So I had to dismiss, distance myself from that company. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think what's interesting is a lot of times people are used to a certain culture and maybe that's not even like who they are naturally. Maybe... They, they're a different way naturally, but the culture can, can change them. Um, and so I, I worked for a whole bunch of places where the culture was really crappy and management didn't care. And the people were all at odds because everybody was out for themselves. And then I moved to a culture where we, they really was a team and people supported each other and, there wasn't a passive aggressive undertone to everything and management actually did care. And I came in with a bad attitude because I was used to a really crappy culture where I was fending for myself. So another employee was able to, to shoot that down very quickly and say, listen, you're not in that culture anymore. You need to cut the shit. And I snapped to very quickly and I, and I immediately like looked around and I'm like, oh, wow, the culture here really is different. I need to change because this is a good place to be. And if they had gatekeeped me to the point where they're like, no, he doesn't fit our culture, I would have never been able to add to that culture. And I think I was able to add a lot 
um, because once I realized that this is how things actually are. So I think that's the biggest danger of gatekeeping is that you can keep out people who are really good and have been given a bad hand up front and can change and can be a huge beacon of the thing that you're actually looking to do um, because they, they've just been, they've been in bad situations. I think you're, you risk the chance of losing good people who are in a bad spot and want to change, but are waiting for the right culture. Yeah. Uh, I, a strong culture should be able to sort out those things on their own without leadership having to do so because leadership started out setting the tone and now that's just what's natural. Um, now, again, you still got to keep out the foxes who can shift a culture, who can take a good culture and make it toxic. But people who aren't naturally toxic and are just conditioned that way can be switched to be a good person be a good part of that culture. I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I still am more on the uh, pessimistic side, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But maybe this is my my, my viewpoint because it's very hard to change people. You're just a bad person. That's all. It's true. It's true. Uh, (laughs) Maybe maybe the caveat with that is there's certain things which you can maybe have a greater degree of tolerance for Mm -hmm. when someone's coming into a culture. But the certain things which are maybe uh, like like no goes, it's like hard stops. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. If, if someone's blatantly racist, just don't bother with them. Yeah, but it, but if they show up five minutes late, like you can you can you can work with that. Right, right. In, in the instance of uh, that sex show I was watching, the uh, the yeah. sex club one, yeah. uh, there was they're doing like interviews for like uh, new dancers or new like uh, performers. And this was one guy they uh, they interviewed, and they seemed like he was pretty decent. You know, like he had like a very good body. He's he was very confident. You know, had to look and everything. And so they're considering him. And then uh, I guess when they're doing interviews, they the guy went upstairs and started kind of uh, harassing some of the girls up there, like being a little too, a bit too handsy. And you know, here you know the the boss downstairs heard about it and says, "Okay, let's deal with this." So he sent this guy up and got him right kicked out. And then they stopped the interviews altogether and had to replan it because it just killed the mood of the entire place there. The fact that that happened at that location, like, like just even the fact that it happened just killed everything. You know, yeah. So obviously that was a boundary cost because that's something they never want to do. And they had to just kick that person out. And so that was the hard stop there. But it also is kind of interesting because just the fact that it happened killed the entire mood of that culture on that day. Like everyone's just kind of down and they're just pissed off and annoyed. Mm. Yep. So the actions of one affected the entire community. Yep. But you you cut the the head off the snake right away. Yeah. Uh, and then reset the snake. I don't know. I lost the analogy there, but uh, you uh, stuffed the snake full of candy, and then you play it like a pinata. There you uh, go. Snake pinata. Mm-hmm. Well known in all in all parts of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's page three of the HR book, HR handbook, right? <laughs> Make sure that you've got a snake pinata. It's right, right up there with the with Plato's cave for the best analogies ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've we've talked about about a lot of things. We talked a lot about uh, about TPC Sports and what actually a really good community that was built from the top down, and now I think has that enough of a strong community that it it weeds out anybody who doesn't who doesn't fit, or it can it can change people. 
Um, and, and I think being around a positive, good community is so good because that can transfer into other, other places. Um, so if someone's always used to a toxic community and then they get to a good one, a lot of times they can take that good attitude and send it on to other, uh, onto other communities and really yep. it, it can change one, one good thing can change the world. I, I do, I do truly believe that that has that ripple effect. Um, and it's really, really interesting to me. Um, uh, now I, I think we should, we should head towards wrap at this point. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so, so Brian, oh. go ahead. So Anna's coming in here and saying, so Anna, one of our super fans is coming mm -hmm. in and saying, this community definitely changed me. Uh, I think she might be referring to TCP, PCP sports, but let's say she's talking about, we need to talk. Cause Hey, this is better. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll take credit for that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Langel, yeah. Where where can where can people find you? Where can people become a part of the the Langel stratosphere of of community? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Langel or Twitch at twitch.tv slash Langel. Uh, but more importantly, the community is uh, TPC Sports Live, and that's on uh, Twitch and on Facebook. And uh, yeah, hit us and, and Twitter, hit us up. If you want to be involved in a really strong uh, gaming community and, and, and culture, that would definitely be where it's it's going to be. Uh, TPC Sports Live is your is your your center for that, and the website as well is tpcsports.live. Now it looks like Anna said uh, TPC, so I assume she means the Pepin Channel, which is we need to talk, right? Um, yeah. So that's good confirmation there. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brian. As always, hey. huge. I love, love talking to you. You're such a professional and you're so good at, at what you do, content creation and, and production in general. So, and you're a great talker. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, uh, both you and Pep. And I had a great time and look forward to doing it again. Could not agree more. Nathan, what's your culture like in your house? Is it, that's, a, that's a good one, right? Oh yeah, so the culture I try to create with my girlfriend in this uh, apartment complex is that of both of us always just wanting to have a good time with each other and being open and just, you know, uh, like like the idea is I should never have a night with her or a day with her, which is just kind of like bad. Like we're both trying to have fun and that's usually what we have. We never, we haven't had a fight yet. It's going to happen eventually. It's going to be at some stupid you know, it's going to be over poutine. Spoiler alert. It's going to be over poutine. She's <laughs> talking about poutine quite a bit. See? <laughs> a good thing. So your culture is based around poutine. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'll be putting it in her soon. So okay. <laughs> Mate, we need to talk. <laughs> 